This is Michelle Hoffman from the Science Desk. You're listening to Smart Talk. The Mike Novak Show starts in three, two, one. Splash. Splash. A frog hopped into a bank looking for a loan. He was dressed in a tiny little tuxedo. He approached the desk of the first loan officer he saw. Good afternoon, madam. I'm Francis the Frog, and I'd like to take out a $5,000 loan. The loan officer sat stunned for a moment, then shrugged and smiled. Okay, well, I'm Patty Black, and I'll be happy to assist you. In order to give out loans, we do require a bit of collateral, though. Mm, Certainly, Francis replied, producing a tiny white elephant from an unseen pocket and placing it upon Patty's desk. I believe this will qualify. Well, Patty picked up the trinket, looked it over, and said, You know, I've got to talk to my manager about this. Please wait here, and I'll return. Well, Francis gave her a nod and whistled softly to himself as Patty went to the back offices. Well, she approached the manager's office and knocked on the door. The manager waved her in. How can I help you, Patty Black? Well, sir, there's a frog out there who wants to take out a loan, but this is all he has for collateral. I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do with it. She handed it over to the manager. He examined it closely before handing it back with a smile. Well, it's a knick-knack, Patty Black. Give the frog a loan. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome at 877-711-5611. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. Good planets are in the main. And welcome to the show. Good morning, everybody. Oh, I keep trying to turn Good up. Good morning. Hold on. All right. I'll just fill in while you're uh, reaching you... over there. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, I a frog go... walks into a radio station. And uh, I hope everybody enjoyed that really dumb joke because uh, I am the king. <laughs> I am the king of dumb jokes. Uh, there's no joke too dumb at all to be played. Go ahead. Challenge us. Uh, no, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have any on hand. Uh, however, we have uh, visual aids here I can see in the studio. And by the way, uh, uh, speaking of visual aids and folks uh, who are listening to this on the radio, when you're on the radio, uh, as you start your program, you, you have really no idea how many people are tuning in. You you assume, oh, you know, millions. I've got millions. <laughs> of mil- millions <laughs> Don't you millions. laugh at me, dude. <laughs> billions and billions. Oh, you're, you're too low for millions. It's got to be at least 100 million, right? <laughs> okay, right. It's your new China well, contract. Well, they're listening on the planet Saturn as well, <laughs> I, I'll have you know. And, and the star Betelgeuse, which is really kind of interesting because I've been reading about how the star Betelgeuse, they're wondering if it's going to go Nova. 
because it's doing some really weird things. Mm. Now, hmm. when they say it goes Nova soon, that could mean the next 100,000 years. But who knows? Yeah. Maybe tomorrow. Anyway, when you're listening, uh, when you're broadcasting, you have no idea how many people are listening. But when you're on Facebook, you just count the numbers as people uh, mm-hmm. click on and, and come on in. So sometime, uh, whether you're in the Chicago area or not, if you're out in other parts of the country where we broadcast this show, someday on a Sunday morning at 9 a.m. Central Time, Go to Facebook, to the Mike Novak yeah. Show, and you can see a mm-hmm. streaming live video. Uh, well, today, that guy over there who laughed at my bad joke uh-huh, is I? William, I don't know, <laughs> William Moss, the garden boss. He's back. Uh, we can't get rid of him. He keeps showing up. But today, we're talking about cannabis, and that's why he's got all these visual aids here about how do you grow it? How do you grow it legally? How do you grow it well? All that good stuff. Stick around. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. That's not just a tree in your yard. It's an investment. It's a windbreak. It's a natural work of art. It's part of the family, which is why you want Bartlett tree experts to care for your trees. Now is a great time to go to Bartlett.com and see what they can do for you. Did you know that winter's a prime time to have your trees pruned? One of the reasons is that without leaves, the structure of the tree is easier to evaluate. Also, it's a great time to inspect your trees for any visibly hazardous conditions or structural issues. It's also easier now to work around a garden when the ground is frozen. Even during the growing season, Bartlett utilizes the most effective and environmentally sensitive methods to control tree pests, such as beneficial insects to manage the bad insects. And did we mention that Bartlett is the industry leader in safety? Whether it's a small residential project or a major commercial renovation, contact an arborist representative at Bartlett and get a free estimate because every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Hello, this is Brock from Hero Power. Dirty Power is suffocating Chicago. Stop paying for coal to burn and choose the easiest way to switch to clean energy today. Hero Power offers a no-hassle option for Illinois residents to pay for renewable electricity sources like wind and solar and keep paying the same rate as they did with ComEd. The same rate. It's a no-brainer. Your money goes toward renewable energy and you avoid long-term contracts, termination fees, or the need to schedule another appointment. You can do all of this in just three minutes and drastically reduce your carbon footprint right now. So don't just complain about climate change. Do something about it. By switching to Hero Power, you take a huge step towards cutting carbon emissions and utilizing our natural wind and solar energy. It's a reliable and convenient way to switch to paying for premium electricity at no extra cost. Let's fight for a clean energy future together. Get clean energy in just a few clicks at MyHeroPower.com. Enroll today at MyHeroPower.com. From quilts to the INM corridor to plant truck, the Chicago Flower and Garden Show is going to surprise and delight you in 2020. Focus on Flowers comes to Navy Pier for five beautiful days, March 18th through 22nd. It features stunning floral quilts by the American Quilter Society, the Best in Bloom's Floral Designer Competition, the Garden Gourmet Stage, Kids Activities, and the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki live on Sunday morning. Go to chicagoflower.com for details. Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on Facebook and YouTube at The Mike Novak Show. Use the Twitter handle at MikeNow. Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, Mike at MikeNovak.net. We're also at TheGreenDivas.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and on the Smart Talk Radio Network. Podcasts and blog posts are available every week at MikeNovak.net. 
sign up to get our newsletter on the homepage and support the sponsors who support us. Look for logos and specials at MikeNovak.net. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Back in the day, this is what you called a a risque song because along comes Mary. This, do you, this doesn't resonate with you, does it? Uh, uh, this is like I'm, I'm just at the end of the monkeys being on, so you know I'm, this this kind of reminds me of the monkeys, but no, it, I don't it, know this it, song. It, it has that sort of flavor. Yeah. It's uh, a group called the Association. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, they did Cherish. They did what were some of the other uh, big Didn't hits? They, did they do Windy? I think they did. Yeah. So uh, they did a, a, a lot. It was like soft rock in, okay. in the late '60s. It's what we used to listen to on Oldie Saturday Night on WLS. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Sounds like beach rock. That's what it was. That's what it was. Oh, be, be, yeah. Uh, and this is a song. It's uh, Along Comes Mary, and a lot of people thought it referred to Mary Juana. Ah, Mary Jane. And Mary Jane. <laughs> and uh, so it, it really wasn't that controversial because the, the reference is so oblique that nobody gets it. But in certain circles, that was mm-hmm. what people thought. And that was, in the day, that was risque. Yeah. Uh, that's as close as we got. Uh, and then he got today. Yeah, hey. you, well, <laughs> today you got nine inch nails. Okay, so there you go, yeah. and yeah. other things. Uh, and in the studio with us is William Moss, the Garden Boss, and mm-hmm. he's uh, he's kind of regular on the show now. Um, and um, you can find him at getoutandgrow.com. and uh, you can find him uh, where where else can people track you down, hunt you down. Uh, they can they can reach me on on Facebook if they're lucky because uh, you know I'm I'm trying to get better on that but they can also <laughs> they can also Who email isn't? me <laughs> right they can also email me uh, if they have any questions especially about today's topic at William at Harold and dot com and that's H E R O L D Harold plus sign Moss dot com uh, actually spelled out A N D. A and D. It is like the Instagram. The, right. The logo. The logo Moss. has a plus sign. You're yes, right. it does. Yeah. Um, the, the, but the website is H E R O L D A N D M O S S. Harold and Moss. Right. There Dot com. Ah, uh, that's great. And I'm sure you guys have a link up to it too. So yeah. we just send them to your page. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> no, and, that, and that's the idea. Uh, if you go to MikeNovak.net and you can uh, get the information for William Moss, the Garden Boss, because normally you come in here and and I know you work with. You work with schools. You work yes. with uh, a lot with schools, don't you? Mm-hmm. Uh, getting kids, teaching them how to grow stuff. Uh, uh, Coming up with the Mossies. Uh, yeah. Right. The, are we going to have a 2020 version of the Mossies? We will. It's been held up a little bit by this new endeavor, but, you know, I'll be back and we'll go over the Mossies. Before, <laughs> before the growing seasons begin, we will cover the Mossies. And, and the Mossies, you should know, are the, the list of plants that uh, Mr. Moss here, the garden boss, uh, deems to be worthy for your garden. Mm-hmm. Uh, are they all brand new plants uh, generally, or are they just things that have caught your attention? Usually it's something that's caught my attention. It may be new to horticulture, or maybe oh, this is a new a new uh, use of it, or a new variety, but typically it's going to be a plant that has, uh, for some reason, performed very mm-hmm. well this year. Like this year we had that 
brutal or last year we had that brutal January that killed yeah. off a lot of plants. So it's kind of good no to know kidding. who survived that. There are a lot of a lot of the mossy winners what came through that that polar vortex just fine. So yeah. we'll be talking about and and some of them were not new plants, just old plants that found that had the vigor and the hardiness. And then and and of course you get into the summer and we had that stretch of drought where just nothing fell from the sky. And so, you know, some plants did well then, too. So it's plants that fit our Chicago land conditions. Nationwide, they're good, too. But I, I really focus on right around our area, making sure mm-hmm. that we can grow the best plants. So that's what the list about. It's all uh-huh. about. And, of course, plants. it's a completely different winter uh, 2019 into 2020. We had, we so had, we had a, a zero-degree day the other day. This is in Chicago. And um, that's the winter. That was it. That's it. That, that's that's the one day. This this is so crazy. Yeah. That and now it's gone, and it's all it's going to rain. Now, today. now p- please remember that last year um, in January during the polar vortex, we had five days where it didn't get above zero. Right. Right. Five straight days. <laughs> and I was out earlier in the week, or I think it was last weekend. I don't know. I commented to you, my compost bin is not frozen, and normally it's just <laughs> a solid frozen lump of ice, mm-hmm. and it's. I could turn it. Uh, yeah, that's that, that's. I mean, that's that's great for us as we walk around wearing well, sweaters. Well, but it's it not is, great it's for. Not, <laughs> well, but disease uh, well, and insects yes. are going to be like yeah, exactly. <laughs> Diseases and insects can overwinter, and that's one of the reasons you like sometimes to have those those cold temperatures. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you deal with it mm-hmm. the way you deal with it. It's just there's nothing you can do about it. And we talk about it all the time with our meteorologist Rick Tamayo, and it's just. You 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 move on to whatever the next season is. Uh, yeah. We just recorded the warmest January in history, uh, recorded history, uh, this uh, 2020. Yeah. So yeah. these are things to to keep in mind. And However, and okay. those those are bad news stats when you're talking about uh, you know gardeners and and their perennial gardens and their trees. But when we're talking about annuals like this cannabis plant. There, there. The cannabis is happy that things are going. Notice to how we just transitioned right <laughs> into yes. the topic. Smooth, right in it. Okay, so yes, we uh, several weeks ago, be, I believe it was the very first show of the year, we talked about growing hemp because uh, in 2018 the uh, U.S. government said uh, you can grow hemp in mm-hmm. the United States, and Illinois had uh, started that. Uh, here, they ramped it up in 2018, mm-hmm. uh, and 2019 was the first year growing year, and we talked about how some folks did uh, growing hemp, and we talked about the regs and rules and regs and the hoops of fire. Boo, boo. You've got to jump through all <laughs> kinds of hoops of fi- uh, <laughs> hoops of flaming hemp uh, yeah. to, to grow hemp. Mm-hmm. Um, and that continues to be the case, and you've dealt it with it because you've been talking to farmers, people who are growing hemp in Illinois, right? We actually have a network of growers that we're that we're fostering, that we're getting people to get together because we're finding that individual farmers have a much more difficult time combating all those things you said, the legislation, uh, you know, the processing on the end of it, getting into the order of the seas, finding secure reputable sources not so. having too much uh thc content in there it's compliance too, yeah uh and the regs are really kind of they're really i'm sorry they're draconian they really are in terms of the amount you can have there because you can't get high on hemp all right um and yet they want that level so low and i don't have that number right in front of me but we i just, do let me mm-hmm. let me go over just just, just very briefly that that, that it is 0.3 percent yeah. now now imagine a 0.3 percent beer you know, it's I mean, even even O'Doul's is like one or something like that. Imagine a point three percent beer. So that's what they're saying that is, is the highest you can go is point three percent, and that rule is they want not, to take it up to one percent. It should at least be one percent, at at least if it's no. 1%, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. They want to lower it. That yes. was it. Yeah, 
Uh, mm-hmm. and, and some people are saying they should take it to 1%. It should be 1%. Then people could grow hemp and grow it well. You're not going to get a buzz off of 1% hemp. It's, once, once again, it's like drinking no dues. You can drink 1% beer all day. You're never going to get drunk off of it. It's the same thing with... You're going to get sick before you get before much you sick. That. It's the same thing with cannabis. You can smoke the largest fatty in the world out of hemp, and <laughs> you just be there all day. You would never get a psychoactive buzz out of that. You just couldn't get it. It's because the wrong... It's, uh, as we described on that show... Hemp is sometimes called the anti-marijuana. It actually defeats the the uh, getting high. It so, fights against some yeah, of the yeah. effects that the psychoactive so, ones do. So let's start there, explaining the difference uh, physiologically, I guess, uh, um, between, uh, I guess physio- that would mean uh, human beings, wasn't it? Anyway, what's, mm. whatever the term I meant, uh, between hemp and uh, marijuana that you smoke for THC content, uh, CBD oil, yeah, all that stuff. Well, uh, so, how do you, when you're talking to your clients, how do you define these terms? Okay, good. I'm glad we're going down this road, and I'm going to ask you guys, please. I've been working on uh, books and volumes of this, so I, mm-hmm. I so I'm gonna, I can talk forever. Cut me off. <laughs> so, so first, right, we, we got this. Yes, perfect. We'll get perfect. the hook. Yes. Yeah, you can bring the hook out for me. First, I want to say that 0.3% came from a totally arbitrary place. Mm-hmm. It was a study in the 1970s done by Schaefer. It was the Nixon study where they gathered stem, leaves, and flower and said, hey, this is 0.3%. This is hemp. So a lot of times when people are testing for compliance, they test by taking the top flower, which automatically sets you in a hole because the flowers are going to have more cannabinoids, the oils they produce. All the oils are produced, THC, mm-hmm. CBD, CBG, all that stuff is produced in the flower. And let, yeah, let me stop you just for one second. And we're talking about the same plant, which is same plant, cannabis sativa. Cannabis sativa or cannabis indica, it doesn't matter. that They're both cannabis plants, and they have all of the psychoactive and non-psychoactive cannabinoids that you've been hearing about. So it doesn't matter whether it's grown for CBD or it's grown for um, mad ganja. They're, they're both cannabis sativa. They're, they're the same. Or if you're going to grow it for fiber. This varies. This mm-hmm. is a plant that's grown for fiber. Is that it a, is also is cannabis that a sativa. hemp uh, fiber? This is a hemp stick. You can wow. let you set you see that. And if you feel that. I thought that, it was a how... dousing rod. <laughs> You see how sturdy that is? That is. That's, yeah. that's one of the reasons why hemp is such a good fiber and why it was used historically for rope. This plant was mandated by the colonies from Virginia to Chile to grow because of that, because of the hemp, the rope that they used, the materials they made, the fiber from it uh, was a very important ingredient. So this plant has a long history with the colonies in America up until the Mexican Revolution of 1910. And then that's that's one of the reasons why that we try to use THC uh, or weed or pot or something instead of marijuana because marijuana was a name invented to, uh, to make the cannabis plant that people that had been growing sound like it was foreign and dangerous. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so marijuana, marijuana, you know, yeah, it was yeah, supposed to yeah. be dangerous. Here come the Mexicans fleeing the revolution and they're bringing this evil thing with us. Let's all run from it. Uh, and, so, and so a lot of laws were passed against the plant that were to our detriment. This plant had been used by medicine in America since the 1700s. And people know that it has a lot of positive benefits, which is why the CBD movement caught on so well. Uh, and this plant is, um, if, it's, it's like a tomato. Here's, here's how it's to people. Uh, you have some beefsteak tomatoes that are for slicing, and then you have cherry tomatoes that you may put in your salad. Then you have saucing tomatoes that you use for tomato paste. It's all a tomato. Mm-hmm. It's all lycopersicon or solanum, whatever you want to call it. It's all the same plant. That's the way this is. So whether you use it for fiber, whether you're growing it for seed, for like for making for making granola, or whether you're growing it for CBD for oil, or you're growing it for the TAC to get to get the high physical effects of it, it's all the same plant. You wouldn't use 
a slicing tomato to make paste. Just not as good. You wouldn't use a beefsteak tomato for se- or a cherry tomato on your sandwich. You wouldn't slice up a cherry tomato for your sandwich. It's the same thing. These plants are, are different. They create different products, but they're the same thing. Does that and, make sense? Yeah, it does. Okay. The, the thing that I've been trying to figure out, uh, low these uh, many years, is why the scientists don't decide to call it to, to break break them up into two different species. I mean, they are, and I assume that there's scientific reasons for that. Mm-hmm. These are just varieties within the same mm-hmm. species, basically. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems to me that it might be easier. Uh, if you actually decided that there were two different species involved. They can't do it. Can't do they, it. They, they can't do it because the plant is exactly the same. It's just like with a corn plant. But it's so, not exactly the same because one you grow for fiber and for CBD and the other you grow for THC. Genetically, okay, it's just like popcorn versus sweet corn versus dent corn. They're all corn. They're all corn. They're all pretty much the same except for dent corn you can never eat. That's used for food and to make... Uh, ethanol and marjoram and stuff like that so so it's the it's, it's, it's the same plant it just has a different agricultural outcome mm-hmm. of, of of what it produces just like when you eat popcorn it doesn't produce the same amount of sugars and and uh, starch as does a corn on the cob so they all start out similarly and then the genes click into them and tell them hey you know what make more cbd or make more thc or this is just going to go to seed or or this is just a plant that's going to make a lot of fiber so the way so, you, you you know the difference is by the seed you get you know the variety of the seed you get, and so when you plant that, you're going to get whatever. The that. only way you can tell the difference from these plants is if they are literally growing and you can test them. And sometimes you can't even tell then. You have to go and do tests. Like if I go out into a field and there's a, there's a seed plant, a fiber plant, a THC plant, and a CBD plant growing, I may be able to tell you, okay, these two plants are CBD, THC. But I may not be able to tell any of that, especially if it's too early. So you cannot tell from the seed. You have to know from... Um, your 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 source your your supplier the person who gives you the seeds needs to be able to tell well, you exactly I, I, what they that's are. That's what I meant. Is that you know you buy a seed and you assume it is what they tell you. Yes, you have to. Yes, <laughs> right. Yes. Okay. Now, unfortunately, that does not always because work out. You can't you can't like dissect a seed and tell from the seed itself. No, 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 no you can't. Although typically the seed that, that that that's that's made with granola and that you make the marjoram from is a larger seed. But that's not always the case. So so it's very hard to tell. And then sometimes the seed from fiber. Because it's a more natural plant, it's small, really tiny things that look like buckshot almost. Mm-hmm. So, so it's hard to know what they are when they grow. But really, the agriculturist, the farmer, is the one who has to make these decisions of which one they're going to grow and how. Okay, that music means that we need to take a short break. That's William Moss, the garden boss, and that's a good start for us. Is to realize that you're talking about cannabis, and it's it you, you got to figure out a way to differentiate. We'll be right back. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Do you believe plants have the power to change the world? We mean resilient landscapes, environmental justice, urban and regional food systems, pollution purging plants, and more. Come to Madison, Wisconsin this March 27th and 28th to explore cutting-edge ideas with landscape architects, designers, artists, and cultural leaders at Cultivating Connected Communities. A diverse group of professionals and passionate amateurs alike will gather at the University of Wisconsin, and you can be part of it. Go to allencentennialgarden.org and sign up today. From both to your freezer with a quick stop at your doorstep. 
Our friends at Sitka Salmon Shares want you to know where your fish comes from. They are committed to quality and transparency. Your seafood is traceable to 25 family operations in Alaska. They even put their names on the box. If you're not happy with your share, you'll get your money back. Sign up and join 10,000 satisfied community-supported fishery members. I'm one of them. Use promo code MIKE25 for $25 off your share. Go to SitkaSalmonShares.com. Hey, this is Peggy. When I speak at local events, people often ask me, aren't you the Peggy in Natural Awakenings ads? And that makes me happy because it reminds me that Chicagoans want to lead healthier lives. And Natural Awakenings magazine helps them do just that. Natural Awakenings is the greenest, healthiest magazine in the Chicago area. Each month, we bring you the latest information about health and wellness, complementary medicine, fitness and exercise, raising healthy kids, and even keeping your pets healthy. You'll find articles about healthy homes, too, including gardening, energy efficiency, and green living. And if you love good food, you'll always find tasty recipes and healthy cooking hints. Check out our monthly calendar. It's full of events to keep you connected. Natural Awakenings is available in more than 1,100 locations throughout the city, as well as suburban Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. And it's free. Or visit us at nachicago.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. Snow. I can see the fog. Drizzle. My way. Gone are the dark clouds that had me blind. So, what does it mean? It's gonna be a bright, ah, bright, bright, sunshiny day. Great song. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, speaking of bright, sunny, days uh, we have one here yes even though there's snow on the ground but that's okay it's going to go away soon um and we just uh we just kicked over uh, 100 subscribers on youtube Woo-hoo, woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. Yes. thank you everyone uh so go and do it those of you yeah. listening you haven't subscribed in youtube we we talk about the facebook live stream here you can watch the live stream on youtube as well every sunday morning mm-hmm. 9 a.m central time the Mike Novak Show. Kayla, uh, can you tweet that out? Uh, the YouTube link, please? Yeah, send them the, the YouTube link and uh, let folks know. And uh, let's get a bunch of more subscribers before the end of the day. Right. In the studio, we have uh, William Moss, the garden boss. We are Ooh-hoo. talking. Now, William Moss, the hemp boss. Uh, ah. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and other bosses. Uh, and we're talking talking cannabis. Um, one of the things I want you to explain right now, because you, you talked about the plant. And uh, yes. we had some people uh uh, and by the way, if you got comments, I'll tell you what, you can call in 877-711-5611, or you can shoot us a, a note on Facebook or or YouTube uh, or Twitter um, mm-hmm. and uh, ask your questions if you, if you got them, because we're not going to cover everything today. No chance. William's going to be back. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking during the break <laughs> but, about some of things we're not going to get to today. So, right. yeah. But somebody wrote that they love the idea of the tomato. The tomato yes. analogy right. explained uh, uh, cannabis to them yes. very well. So mm-hmm. keep using that. Okay? <laughs> uh, you, you have my permission. Uh, now I want you to explain the difference between the THC, the CBD, the uh, you know the different chemicals, the CBGs, and all that, and, and, and yeah. all that. Yeah. Okay. So so basically, um, 
the cannabis plant produces what we call cannabinoids. It's just it's just whatever whatever sort of uh, mm-hmm. natural phytochemicals. And phytochemical is a word that I want you guys to use more often. It just means plant chemical, but it sounds like you you're saying something cool. So the the <laughs> the phytochemicals of the plant that it produces are called cannabinoids. And there are several of them. So they all start out as a basic thing, uh, CBG. It's just a bunch of carbon rings, uh, some of them with acids coming off the side of them. Uh, one or two may have nitrogen, but it's just a really cool carbon ring. If you if you remember your organic chemistry, which I'm sure everyone does. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, I so, was just reading it over <laughs> breakfast this morning. Very good. Very good. So all these cannabinoids... Um, if you know your organic chemistry, if you change one bond or add one thing, it is a completely different chemical. So that's what's going on with the cannabis plant. It produces these chemicals not so that we can enjoy them and so we can feel better and get us well and help relieve pain. It produces them to stop animals from eating them. So if you know, if you've ever grown mint or if you've grown basil or thyme or mm-hmm. any of those, you know that when you rub those plants, they have oils on them. They'll stick to your fingers, they smell, mm-hmm. and those oils are produced for the same reason, to keep animals from eating them, insects in particular. So that's what these cannabinoids are. They're a defense mechanism for the plant so that it can get through its life cycle, flower and make seed without some big deer or without some rabbit or woodchuck or something (laughs) eating the whole thing up. It's supposed to be there to taste nasty, smell bad, and scare them away. You darn woodchucks, keep... You stop talking about wood. <laughs> right, right. So here's the here's the good thing about that. For us, some kind of freak accident happened along the way in evolution where backbone animals had this system that they depended upon that triggered them for pain so it's and other animals stuff. with vertebrae. Vertebrae, yeah. So, so so starting in fish, we found it in fish. Uh, amphibians, reptiles, birds, and mammals, all of them have it. It's a system that some kind of way uses chemicals that look very similar to cannabinoids. I mean, they literally can fit into the lock and key. So our system in our brain is full of receptors for our naturally produced endocannabinoids. So things that we produce in our body. Endo means inside. So these, these things that we produce in our body that make us feel good, that turn off pain, that do all this other stuff, surprisingly, the cannabis plant plugs right into that system. So, so our endocannabinoid system is directly affected by this plant, although we did not evolve together. It's, it's really, really freaky. It's freaky. Okay. The, <laughs> so, way, the way that works. Yeah, yes. the way it works. So, so, so basically CBD, THC, CBG, all these other things fit into our natural system that we have, like a lock and key. And by the way, I found this out. We didn't find this out as scientists until like the 1990s. Mm-hmm. I was in college and I was like, woohoo, God wants me to, to take this plan in. <laughs> why, else would he, why else would he have this lock and key system yeah. that fits perfectly inside my own brain? So, uh, so and it's, it's kind of interesting because we haven't heard a whole lot about the endocannabinoid system until the last four or five years. Because it was only yeah. discovered in the 90s. We didn't even know it existed. We just knew for some reason this plant had a, a great effect on us. We discovered it in the 90s, and they're, start, and they're learning more about it now, especially CBD, CBG, CBN, all these other things. So THC is the one that everyone knows. Mm-hmm. That's tetrahydrocannabinol. And basically it plugs into our system, and we make a chemical very similar to it called anandamide in our own body. Anandamide and THC both make us happy. 
So when we started, when we take in THC, we get that euphoric feeling because it matches what our own body gives us to gives us that euphoric feeling. Mm-hmm. CBD is one that turns, that reduces pain in a lot of sensors. It resembles a chemical that we create too in our body. CBD is cannabidiol. And, and what it does, it plugs in and helps reduce pain and stress and a lot of other things. Then there's one called CBG, cannabigirol. When you plug that one into the system, it reduces ocular pressure, which makes it very good for glaucoma because it reduces the pressure in our nerves. It's also a neuroprotectant. There's one called CBC that is a neuroprotectant and a bronchodilator. So it actually fights against the negative effects of smoking in your lungs. So all these things do something for us one way or another. Most of the time, the effects are good. Sometimes the effects, they're not all good, though. Let's, be, let's, 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 let's speak truthfully and honestly about the plant. Sometimes you can get paranoid if you, if you have too much THC. Uh, you know, that, that may happen. And for those people who experience, like, high paranoia or, like, other problems from it, then you're probably having a too high a dose of THC. THC levels can now reach 30, 40%. That's, that's higher than the average person needs to get the euphoric effects. And when you take too large a dose, that may push you over into paranoia. Like, like right now, the people who are calling, uh, you know, saying, oh, no, I took, too much, I took too much pot. I'm going crazy. I'm going crazy. They're called the emergency room because they were inexperienced pot users. They took too high a THC level. And really what the person on the other end of the phone should just say, okay, go take a nap. There's not been a, there's yeah. ne- there's never been a recorded case of anyone overdosing and dying from cannabis in its twelve thousand year history with humans. Mm-hmm. Uh, you cannot smoke enough of it to cause you to die, only to go to sleep and get the munchies. Let's go back to where they come from, though. I mean, which plants produce a CBD oil? Uh, which plants produce a THC, uh, CBG? Uh, you can differentiate those, right? Every plant produces all of them. Okay. It's just it's just it's some just, are grown for. It's just the ratios of them that, yeah. that okay the, the, the higher that are different. Of one, so the higher the oil or the higher the the fiber or the all whatever. all plants, whether it's fiber, seed, or whatever, they all produce the same cannabinoids. Right. Every but, plant but does. higher percentages. Higher percentages are going to be in some in some that are produced just yeah. for the flower. But every cannabinoid is going to be present in just about every plant. It's just a matter of which one you're growing. Whether you're growing a high THC or high CBD, they even have high CBG plants now. So they have mm-hmm. a lot of different ones you can grow to get those cannabinoids out. But historically, what we've done, if we've just grown whatever cannabis plant we can find, and then we've just synthesize all of them out. Yeah. So, so, so even if it's a plant that's fiber, I can get CBG or CBC out of this plant. It'll just be in very tiny, minute amounts. Yeah. Now, one of the things that, that's kind of interesting with a lot of this is the, the amount of research has exploded in the last couple of years once things became legal with the 2018 Farm Bill, et cetera, because prior to that for point, hemp. yeah, for hemp, for because hemp. in the U.S., they couldn't really grow it to research it, and most of the research was done in, say, Israel, Canada, and other places. Well, we've we've had this, this Poland, China, this, yeah. this prejudice against marijuana. Be- yes, we have, because, as you say, since the beginning of the 20th century, and and right now, and let's let's take just a second to explain that, you know, the, some of you are listening to this, and you're in different states from Illinois. Illinois just became one of the states to legalize recreational use of marijuana. There are mm-hmm. 11, mm-hmm. 11 states in the United States that have legalized recreational Cameras. use. Mm-hmm. It, it runs a gamut. I got a map here. It shows you all the different layers, and it is Byzantine. You know, you have to know your state. You have to know what the laws are in your state. Is it is medical marijuana legal? Uh, can you, you know, hemp production is now legal. Federal legal. Yeah, federally all legal. Although, CBD's although federally it's legal. being fought in uh, South Dakota. 
Yeah. Yes, it is being followed in, in in South Dakota. Otherwise, you could grow hemp. Again, you have to you have to go through all. It's a all, ton of hoops and regulations that right. I mean, yeah. every state by state, they're each different. But yeah, marijuana. So this is a generic conversation. But, we're yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But marijuana, you or have THC to, or THC. Okay, let's say <clears throat> THC to imbibe <clears throat> THC. You have to look at your local laws and know mm-hmm. what your state allows. So we say that as a caveat to everything we're saying here today. Don't take our word for it just because you heard it on the radio. You better research it for yourself, right? And I'm sure you mm-hmm. tell people that all the time. Exactly. But, yeah. Know your local laws. Know your local laws and uh, adhere to them uh, unless you want to get yourself in a heap of trouble. Uh, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. When we come back, let's talk a little bit about how to grow this yes. stuff with William Moss. We'll be right back. Want to have a healthier, more eco-friendly Green Diva kitchen? In a Green Diva Minute, you'll learn more and be on your way to living a deeper shade of green. The main characteristics of a Green Diva kitchen are that it produces delicious food, is healthy, eco-friendly, and low stress. Let's start by using more dish towels and cloth napkins because paper products make up one-third of municipal waste. Buying bulk dry goods saves money and reduces waste. Please recycle more. An estimated 80% of what Americans throw away is recyclable, yet our recycling rate is only 28%. And of course, always try to buy local and organic food whenever possible. I'm Green Diva Meg. Please visit thegreendivas.com to find useful Green Diva podcasts, videos, and of course, lots of low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green. You should not have to fight for our planet alone, which is why the ninth annual One Earth Film Festival celebrates the power of we. From March 6th through 15th, view 26 films in four counties at more than 40 venues in the Chicago region. From climate change to extinction to farming to predators to watermelons, there's something to change your heart and your mind and get you to take action. This is the Midwest's premier environmental film festival. Go to oneearthfilmfest.org. Illinois has become a national leader in solar energy installation, and right now you can save 60 to 70% on installation costs. You want it for your home or business, but you don't know where to start. So give our friends at Albright Solar a call. Albright Solar offers a boutique, hands-on approach to your situation. They know the ins and outs of local solutions, and we've worked with them for a decade. They're good people, and they know their stuff. Go to albright.solar or call 773-887-6446. I'm meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Bringing a lot of social science into climate change is really important. People who teach climate change now, you have to really get into how it's affecting people, how it's affecting the ability for people to cope, how it's affecting the ability of people to adapt or to mitigate. Stick around for some more insight into weather and climate and how it might be affecting you, your lives, and your garden. On WCGO 1590, Chicago's Smart Talk. 2019 marked 20 years of Faith in Place, empowering people of all faiths to be leaders in caring for the earth. Not only that, right now is the 10th annual season of the Indoor Winter Farmers Market Program. Enjoy fresh local food from November to April at Indoor Farmers Markets, hosted by 16 Chicagoland Houses of Worship on select Saturdays and Sundays. Faith in Place accepts Illinois Link Card SNAP benefits. For a market schedule and more info, go to faithinplace.org.
If you want to play songs that uh, Mark Zuckerberg isn't going to zap, um, just get your CD from uh, Starbucks. That's basically how you do that. All right. <laughs> My man. Find ways around. And, and there's sometimes some really good music on there. So welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're in the final segment here where we're talking to William Moss, the garden boss. We've been discussing cannabis of various types and its products. Mm-hmm. And we haven't even gotten around to growing the stuff yet. No. So we got is your new company. Yeah, yeah. My, my new company is Harold and Moss, and what we do is we advise farmers on how to grow hemp. Hopefully, we get them in our network so that we can, uh, you know, give some price protections and some other things for them that we try to we try to we try to have. And then we work on individuals who want to get their medical cards here in Illinois so they can grow. Cannabis, THC, at the, home. The five plants they're allowed to grow at home. They can, five flowering plants. Okay. Yes. You can have five flowering plants. And who is Harold and Moss? Harold and Moss is a great friend of mine, actually a former student of mine, Karen Harold, and then William Moss. And uh, Who's William Moss? I don't oh, know. Some, oh, some, no, cra- some, 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 <laughs> some crazy guy. So Karen works with a lot with, uh, with, with like preschool education. And we started doing stuff with kids in schools. And, uh, and then we said, uh, you know, there are a lot of other things that we can get into, um, especially with gardening. So we had hoped that we could then keep moving forward. And we found that this cannabis business was coming out and people had a lot of questions about it. So I've been doing a lot of research and we've been going around meeting with a lot of farmers and figuring out the best ways to grow this plant in Illinois. Because, because the way they grow it in Colorado and California is different from the way we grow it here. How so? So, so uh, well, uh, well, their climate is much drier than ours. So right. they, have, they have different pests. So the pests they tell you to look for, we typically don't even have here. Uh, our season is much shorter. So they're like, oh, yeah, this plant's going to grow 12 feet tall. We're like, mm. I don't know about that. <laughs> this is this is Illinois, uh, and you know, and their soils are very lean, so they need a lot of having a lot of fertilizers. Our soils aren't, so we discovered a lot of differences in growing between the two. That's why we want to uh, you know spread the word with our network. We had a pilot year. We were very careful to start small because a uh-huh. lot of people started big, ran into mistakes, and lost a ton of money, a ton of time, and other things. We all started small to figure out how we were going to best figure out the methods of growing, the protocols and procedures for growing this plant in Illinois. Well, one of the things we talked about in January about hemp is that a lot of people thought it was a gold rush and that they were going to come in and they were going to put all these fields of hemp mm-hmm. in and harvest, and there yep. was this this huge market just ready yep. to grow. And a couple of things happened. The market didn't do what it was supposed to, and the weather didn't do what it was supposed to, yep. and some of those people had hemp that never got harvested. Yep, that stood out. So you 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 heard about that or knew there, about that? There are so many horror stories. Um, just yeah. just just to say. Uh, Three or four of them uh, would be that the ones that never got to harvest the hemp because the frost came in October. You know, they planted late. We didn't get to start early. We we started late. The guy who planted ten thousand males, uh, and that's the thing Oops. about growing. If you're growing, if you're growing this plant, you want female plants. Male plants are only acceptable if you're trying to get seed. If you have male plants and you're trying to get THC, CBD, uh, any of this other stuff. You're not going to get you, them at you, all. You made <laughs> gonna, a mistake. Yes. Once, once, the, once the plant is fertilized and yeah. starts making seeds, it stops making cannabinoids. Mm-hmm. They just goes completely down. So you can have a seed that somebody sold you and said, this plant's going to give you 20% CBD. You let it get fertilized, you'll be lucky to have 1% CBD. Uh, so, so you have to get the males out. Males will ruin your crop. Wow. See, and you would assume people know that as they're going into it, but like mm-hmm. any new crop, there's a learning curve. There's yeah. a learning curve because it's not just males. We had a we had a person who was walking their fields, getting the males out. Everything was fine. They thought they were so happy with themselves. Two weeks later, up shows a hermaphrodite. 
And this plant can do that. So there were like four or five hermaphrodites that seeded the entire crop. So even going through looking for males, not knowing to look for hermaphrodites, cost this guy a ton of money. So that's what I'm saying. You have to, if, if you don't, if you have not, if, if, if you don't have experience growing mm-hmm. this plant, you need to get with somebody who does. So say somebody wants to start becoming a craft grower, growing yes. a small amount of, of artisan hemp, let's say. Yes. And they call you. So what happens? How do you work with them? Um, well, well, the first thing is they're going to have to let me know what they're growing for and why, whether it's CBD, THC. Then I need to know if they have the correct licenses and zoning. Once all those answers are yes or, or have been determined, then we've got to meet at the site so I can do a site visit and go over and see the viability of it. Some people, some people shouldn't grow it. I've told them, I mean, you, you're looking to make money off of this, but you aren't set up to do well in this. Maybe you should just grow hay or go back to growing <laughs> corn or soybeans mm-hmm. because it's easier for them. This is, not, this is not a plant that you step into not knowing how to grow, not, not having good horticulture. I put it like that. Uh, and one of the things we learned uh, in January that is, is kind of counterintuitive is, was in terms of hemp, some of the growers found that they're, when they had really lean soil, the plant was producing more of the chemical. And it's, it's counterintuitive because you would think, well, if you've got very rich soil, you're going to, uh, you'll have more of the chemical produced. But what, the, the opposite is true given that the plant is, is trying to survive. And when it's trying to survive, it, it, it produces more of those chemicals. So this is where knowing horticulture comes in to help. If you've ever grown marigolds or petunias, you know, if you over-fertilize them and keep fertilizing them, you'll get big, monstrous plants full of leaves, but not as much flowers. Mm-hmm. That, that, that one marigold or petunia that's sitting over in the far corner of the yard that you never water is, a, is maybe a third of the size and completely covered in flowers. That's where you, if you start to know your garden and watch them, you can see that these annuals react to the difference. It's, it's the same with tomatoes again. Let me go back to tomatoes. In California, they have a process where they start tomatoes, they plant them very, very deep in the ground, very deep, like two, three feet deep. You can get away with that with tomatoes yes. that you can't with, with other plants. And then they don't water them. They let them come up. They have these small, spindly little vines, some of the best-tasting tomatoes you ever have. Really? Before. Some yeah. of the best-tasting tomatoes. So there's something about giving plants less to grow big. It's the same way we don't try to give nitrogen to our plants too much because they'll get too big and they'll focus more on leaf growth. Right. You want them to grow naturally. So as long as there's some nutrients in the soil, as long as the soil isn't sand, we found that hemp would do very well. It doesn't need a lot of extra stuff. And putting the extra things in it a lot of times reduces the amount of oils that you have in there. That's crazy, isn't it? I mean, it's, it is, it's, it's crazy to think well, that. Well, but if you're looking for the fiber, then, you know, you don't, again, we were talking about the, mm-hmm. the limit where you're going to get tested. And, and if, if the soil is too lean, it starts producing those chemicals, you're going to lose that whole crop because they're going to say it's got too much uh, uh, that, that, THC in it. That could happen um, if, if you harvest the plant too late. That's the other thing about growing hemp. A lot of people left their hemp in the fields way too long. As, as the flowers get older, the CBD... The CBD levels decrease and the THC levels increase. So you always want to harvest early. And that's, that's one of the things that we get our farmers doing. We're on a straight program where, where we're trying to get it to 20 weeks. And when it comes to, like, the home grower, which is different. Now, now, now the home grower who may just say, I want to augment my, you know, you know, my stash at home or something like that. You have With a medical card. With a medical card. You have different rules to apply for. If you got a medical card, we can help you. If you don't, we can't. Well, actually, we can help you get your medical card and help you get your growing custom and all that stuff. But first, we need to know. You know, is this something? Why are you doing this? And if and there, if there's a real good reason for it, or if you just want to join with the medical things, then we can help you. 
Wow. Okay. Listen, thank you so much, William Moss, for being here. It just shows how little I know about all of this. Uh, and so we're going to have you back. We'll okay. talk about this. We'll see what the kind of response we get. But uh, folks can go to Harold and Moss, H-E-R-O-L-D-A-N-D-M-O-S-S dot com or go to MikeNovak.net. And you can find all this information. Uh, All I got to say is for those of you local, we'll be right back. For the rest of you, go green or go home. (laughs) Captain's Log, Stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, be more specific. Asparagus officinalis, or killer asparagus, was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work. Of course. Attack of the Killer Asparagus is required reading at Starfleet Academy. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Gwynok of Ningledore. Captain, shields are failing. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. Captain, it seems to be available online at aroundtheblockpress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener, taking all our self-delusions, mishaps, and confusions, and playing them for big laughs. That's not very helpful, Mr. Data. No, it is, however, highly accurate. Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need and is good food to eat. welcome back. To the welcome, welcome. Oh, welcome, welcome. Oh, I could do the uh, yeah, the John Oliver. Welcome, 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 welcome. Okay. Oh, I feel better. Got that out of your system. Woo. Okay. I don't need any CBD. Uh, if you do it's the other thing, you could exercise. Okay. Just saying. Uh, let's, let's mention that really quick. And by the way, one of the things you should know is that some people were ahead of the CBD and THC craze decades before we knew it. I say this calls for action and now nip it in the bud. Okay. Nip it in the bud. That's code. Just letting you know, Barney Fife was in on the action. Back in the day. Uh, but back to CBD. I was talking to you during the news uh, about CBD because you do some advertising of it in Natural Awakenings. Mm-hmm. You've, you've, you talk about health and wellness in the magazine. I imagine you've written about it. What's the story? And you say in the studio, you, you, you tell me, you say, well, there's not a lot of science behind it right now. What's the story? Or at least there's not a lot of U.S. science. Okay. Um, because before it was legalized uh, in the Farm Bill in 2018, there were some small inroads being made on industrial hemp, yeah. but universities were very restricted in what they could grow and what they could research because it was not legal. Mm-hmm. So much of the science comes from good research that's been done in other countries, including Israel, Poland, Canada, and other places where it was legal to do the research. And we're back in the Stone Ages because we just we clamped down on anything that was related to cannabis in any way, shape, or form for decades and decades and yeah. decades. And e- now, even we're industrial, to catch up. yeah, even industrial. I was reading an article. Um, Henry Ford built a hemp car that ran on hemp fuel eighty years ago, and then it was all squashed. Henry Couldn't... Ford was yeah, 
was was ahead of his time. Yep. So a lot of that got got shut down. So so there is research. There's a lot of research being done now. There's just not. 30 years of clinical studies, for example, in the United States. Okay. Uh, we want to promote a couple of things. First of all, we still have a couple of tickets left to the the Orchid Show at the Chicago Botanic Garden. Uh, we'd like to give them away, Andrew. I'm going to surprise you here. We're going to take the fifth caller at 877-711-5611. We have a couple of tickets. Uh, now, make sure you can go. <laughs> Don't just grab the tickets because you want to win something. Uh, 877-711-5611, the number five caller will get those tickets. Uh, we we want to make sure people get them. Uh, it was so great to have Dr. Jim Alt on the show last year, uh, last year, last week, uh, to talk about orchids. Uh, and uh, you should see them for yourself. So that is one thing. What else did you, you have there, Peggy? Was there something else? You said something else? Oh, sorry. I was talking I know to Andrew were. that there was Come no sound show, on Peggy. Facebook right uh, now. Um, yes, the sixth extinction. Oh, right. Uh, there, we're, there is a, uh, an event this Wednesday and I, uh, so a Pulitzer prize winning author, Elizabeth Colbert, who wrote the sixth extinction. She's with the New Yorker. Um, she'll be in Chicago Wednesday at the Harold Washington library, February 19th at 6 PM. It's going to be in the Pritzker auditorium, which is downstairs in the library. And uh, it is uh, a book, the, uh, jo- One Book, One Chicago, uh, ha- is using this book, getting people to read it. Uh, and this is their finale uh, event of the season to talk about the book, The Sixth Extinction. So um, that might be something you want to, uh, to stop by and be part of, especially if you have read the book. Uh, one other thing that, uh, and I, oh, we're breaking. Okay, real quick. Uh, we will be at Factory Farmed Animal Welfare Forum, an evening 100% devoted to some of the most pressing questions of our time regarding factory farms. Uh, that is going to be uh, did she put March the, 11th. Thank you for that. At Dovetail Brewery. At Dovetail Brewery. I, I'm looking at what uh, Jessica sent me. She didn't put the date on it. Thank you for being on board with that. Yale Climate Connections is next. That's not just a tree in your yard. It's an investment. It's a windbreak. It's a natural work of art. It's part of the family, which is why you want Bartlett tree experts to care for your trees. Now is a great time to go to Bartlett.com and see what they can do for you. Did you know that winter is a prime time to have your trees pruned? One of the reasons is that without leaves, the structure of the tree is easier to evaluate. Also, it's a great time to inspect your trees for any visibly hazardous conditions or structural issues. It's also easier now to work around a garden when the ground is frozen. Even during the growing season, Bartlett utilizes the most effective and environmentally sensitive methods to control tree pests, such as beneficial insects to manage the bad insects. And did we mention that Bartlett is the industry leader in safety? Whether it's a small residential project or a major commercial renovation, contact an Arborist representative at Bartlett and get a free estimate because every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. 
The Chicago Flower and Garden Show wants you to focus on flowers from March 18th through 22nd at Navy Pier. Admire displays like the 75 hanging quilts or two dozen beautiful display gardens. Participate in the Get Growing series educational seminars or the Make and Take workshops. Watch top floral designers compete in the Best in Blooms event or see fantastic dishes come to life at the gourmet stage. Be in the audience for the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki on Sunday morning. To learn more, go to chicagoflower.com. DNR Services Unlimited has been serving the north and northwest suburbs since 1992. They can take care of those little problems that never get done. They perform complete bathroom, basement, and kitchen remodels. And if you're looking for a complete home makeover, they can handle that too. Visit their website at RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. That's RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. It'll be easy to find someone cheaper, but a lot harder to find someone better. Hello, this is Brock from Hero Power. Dirty Power is suffocating Chicago. Stop paying for coal to burn and choose the easiest way to switch to clean energy today. Hero Power offers a no-hassle option for Illinois residents to pay for renewable electricity sources like wind and solar and keep paying the same rate as they did with ComEd. The same rate. It's a no-brainer. Your money goes toward renewable energy and you avoid long-term contracts, termination fees, or the need to schedule another appointment. You can do all of this in just three minutes and drastically reduce your carbon footprint right now. So don't just complain about climate change. Do something about it. By switching to Hero Power, you take a huge step towards cutting carbon emissions and utilizing our natural wind and solar energy. It's a reliable and convenient way to switch to paying for premium electricity at no extra cost. Let's fight for a clean energy future together. Get clean energy in just a few clicks at MyHeroPower.com. Enroll today at MyHeroPower.com. It's not easy being green Having to spend its I don't know. I, that would that would work for me actually. Welcome back. Yeah, I could just kind of blend in. Nobody know you're there. <laughs> well, not here cuz we got red background here uh, at uh the Radio Ranch. Uh, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, those of you who are regular listeners to the show might notice that in the second hour for the last couple of months, we've been running reports or episodes, if you will, by an organization called Yale Climate Connections. I found out about them last year and uh, investigated it and decided, you know what, this this really fits with the mission of our Show So we run the 90-second reports um, every week, um, and, and, you know, until I get too many commercials and then they, they get bumped. But, <laughs> no, we've been very faithful in being able to do that. And uh, they've covered all kinds of things, and some of them have been local. Um, there was a, a, a story about clean energy in Schaumburg, Illinois, and we had another one about flooding in one of our other suburbs. So they, they're reaching out all over the uh, United States and covering a bunch of things. And today we're very pleased to have on the show Dr. Matthew Goldberg, a postdoctoral associate at the Yale Program on Climate Change Communication, uh, to talk about those Yale Climate Connection episodes. Welcome, uh, Matt. Thank you for being on the program this morning. Hold Can't, on a second. don't have his volume. Uh, there we are. There we go. All Thanks right. so much for having me. Um, where, where are we talking to you? Where, where do you reside? I'm in New Haven, Connecticut. 
Ah, I was uh, in New Haven just uh, last fall. I have some friends uh, who who live near there. Um, and what is your connection? It sounds like there's uh, a ton of people who are helping put the Yale Climate Connections together because, uh, as they say on the website, and you can go to yaleclimateconnections.org, uh, and on the website it says listen, watch, read, act. So, so there's audio, there's video, there's stories, uh, and you cover just a, an amazingly wide range of environmental issues, uh, which is why uh, I'm happy to have you guys on the show because I, I don't, I can't run them every day because I'm only on Sundays, so I get to sort of pick and choose. I, I look at them and I say, "Oh, that's a good one. I'd like to put that on the show." Um, what is your involvement with them? So I'm a researcher at the Yale Program on Climate Change Communication. So I, I don't have a direct hand in producing Yale Climate Connections, but I do interact with the stories a bunch. Uh, through our message testing, where we we aim to see their their real world impact, and how do you measure that? Uh, we run experiments in which we we survey participants and uh, we manipulate whether they hear a story about from Yale Climate Connections or a control story, and we see how it affects their attitudes. Uh, so we'll we'll gauge their support for renewable energy or whatever the story is uh, directly targeting. See, I had right right away. I've learned something here today. Uh, I figure you're doing it for the good of humanity. We need to get this information out. But you're actually researching this and saying, okay, maybe we there are better ways to get the environmental message out. Absolutely, and we we do do it for the for the good of humanity to to uh, raise awareness and push action on this incredibly important issue of climate change. Uh, but also, we we make sure that that the stories actually work. Uh, so we, we we have a hand both in the the news production end, but also the scientific end. Now, uh, Matt, you were you were, I was checking your LinkedIn page, and it said um, you were working on a study of how the actual message was delivered, and how what are you finding as far as structure of the message to what people listen to or, or what they take action on? Yeah, so one of the an important uh, aspect of our messaging is who the messenger is. Uh, so this is a big part of Yale Climate Connections, where we ensure that uh, people have a good way of identifying with the messenger. If you can identify with them, relate to them, see yourself in them, uh, then they'll be more influential. Is there anything in your research so far that has struck you about how messages? All right. First of all, I guess I have to ask, are you are you focused just on how the message gets out? Uh, but are you also focused on the messages themselves what uh, what is is there an interaction between the two yeah so we focus on every aspect of it like i was saying the messenger the message itself who the audience is that's listening so that's a big part of the work we do uh, how to best match a message that fits the audience so whether it be a conservative audience or a religious audience or uh, whether uh, the, the message is supposed to be locally tailored uh, so we focus on each aspect of the message and try to determine as best we can how effective that is in um, in spurring action or whatever the goal is. What about you personally? What are you uh, looking at in, in terms of the the various messages that you sent out? Because as I said, you cover a wide range of environmental issues. Is there anything that, that strikes you in particular? Perhaps uh, I should ask, are, are certain stories being covered more than others? Um, well, what I found to, to um, 
be particularly important is just the simplicity of the message. Uh, so not being too abstract, mm-hmm. I think is really important. Um, so that's why we always talk about uh, local solutions and uh, what's happening in the here and now, because then people could relate to it rather than thinking about uh, climate change as a global issue, which it is, but uh, then it makes it harder to think about because it's almost too too big uh, to take in. Can, uh, so I think that that's a common thread that, that we weave throughout. Can you give an example of, of a couple of stories that have been very effective versus maybe what hasn't been? Yeah, so an example one that I like is uh, where we highlight uh, Republicans that are uh, pro-clean energy. So we did a story on, uh, I, I forget exactly where, the uh, Republican mayor uh, supporting uh, renew- uh, renewable energy bills. And um, I think those are important, especially because of how influential political elites are in our discourse. Uh, not everyone has the time or cognitive resources to to really... Uh, dig deep into all these policy issues. And uh, so often we, we listen to political elites that, with whom we identify. Uh, so uh, I think getting Republicans to the table on, on this issue is incredibly important. Uh, so that's um, an issue of study that I'm especially interested in. And so highlighting those conservative or Republican voices, I think, is, is an important strategy. And it seems to me that the metrics are different for an article versus a 90 second spot that you do on uh, you know report or that you call them episodes mm-hmm. like the ones we air here i will say uh as you've already alluded to they're pretty simple in their approach it's like here's the problem we're not going to get into too much uh, arcane information but we're going to tell you tell you what's happening so that measuring that is going to be different from measuring an article that can go into more detail i would think yeah, exactly. And sometimes they're geared towards different audiences. Um, we hope that people discover us and, and become interested, even though they might not have been the target audience to begin with. Um, but but absolutely, I think there's uh, there are influential parts of each kind of approach. So some people will be more interested in reading the articles uh, versus uh, listening to the stories. And we've actually been doing some of that work as well. Uh, last year, we published a study comparing a video versus the transcript of the video. And we found that the video was, uh, was significantly more influential in um, increasing people's beliefs in the scientific consensus on climate change. And it's hard to exactly zoom in on exactly why that is, but we suspect it's because it, it has accompanying imagery. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we, we're definitely interested in how modality affects how influential our messaging is. I can understand that, but personally, I'm the guy who goes to a site to look up a story. And if it's just a video, I click off. I I want words. I go looking for words Mm -hmm. where I can read a story because then I can read as much of it as I want. And at my pace. At my own pace, yeah. And I bet you, do you find things like that as well? Yeah, that's that's something that we've been thinking a lot about. It's it's hard to pull apart experimentally, but it definitely fits with our uh, methodological approach such that different people have different ways of learning. And um, to the extent that we can diversify how we, how we communicate, then we can reach a, a wider audience. Am I a dinosaur, by the way? Uh, <laughs> I'm, because I know that's me, and I know that it's old habits die hard. Uh, are you finding that younger folks will in, in, uh, instead click on the video? I, that's what my gut tells me. We don't have a lot of empirical evidence on that. 
Um, but uh, I, I, I don't think you're a dinosaur. I think there's a lot of people that, that do prefer text. And, and for me, I, and I think it's, it's also time dependent where there are times where I prefer to just listen to, a, to watch a video where I want to be a more passive listener. But if I want to dig deep into something uh, really detailed, then, then reading at my own pace, like you said, I, I think is a, is a preferred way for me. So I suspect that that is common uh, for, for others as well. You're only one part of this this uh, machinery of y- Yale <laughs> yeah. Climate uh-huh. Connections. And, and, and again, let me uh, tell folks that you can go to YaleClimateConnections.org uh, to find out more. And as a matter of fact, mm-hmm. as soon as you leave us, uh, Matt, we're going to be airing one of those pieces today um, because it's usually in the second break in our, in our second hour. Uh, do you know how those decisions are made to cover uh, and and, and the, that's why I said you're only part of the cog, because I know you're you're measuring this. But do you have any idea how decisions are made uh, to cover various stories? Uh, so there's there's some so that will largely be driven by our editorial staff at, at Yale Climate Connections. But we kind of been trying to work into this feedback loop. We have the research end and then we have the news coverage end of YCC and where we're constantly exchanging information as to what what stories are working. Uh, so they'll they'll give us that feedback, and then we'll do some research as to try to understand why certain stories work better than others, uh, and then we give them feedback, and then we kind of try and get this productive feedback loop as to what what uh, messages and which stories end up working best for which audiences. Mm-hmm. Does that lead you to watch mainstream media and think, oh, they really missed the point of this? They could they they could have done that a lot better. I mean, it must influence the way uh, you exist in the real world. Absolutely. It's really difficult to uh, pull apart uh, my my work life and my personal life. But I say that uh, uh, in, 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 a, in a good way. It's not a complaint whatsoever. Uh, it's just that it's it's intertwined. And um, yeah, the, I'm constantly seeing like, oh, well, they could have totally covered this better. And, and this is why we do the work we do. And we hope to influence uh, those uh, uh, media outlets as well. Oh, what what do you we only have a couple of minutes here. Um... There's still this big gap, though, in, you know, you're putting out this type of information and it's radio and it's it's the web and it's video and it's audio. But there's still so many people who are just completely disconnected from what's happening climate wise. Yeah, I'm 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 stunned sometimes that folks don't know about certain things going on in in their own backyard. What 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 do you think needs to be done to kind of bridge that gap? How do we reach as journalists? How do we reach much more of the community and have an impact? I think a, a big one is so we have we have our platforms that that's important, but a big one is going through your personal networks. So talking about it, uh, we have some research uh, that has come out over the past couple of years showing how important that is. The social norms of close friends and family and local communities is incredibly important. Uh, one of the primary drivers of people's personal beliefs is what they think others around them believe. Uh, so I'm a social psychologist by training. Um, so we I. Uh, my research expertise comes from that background, and, um, and we find that that's uh, incredibly important, um, be- especially because uh, messages could come and go. Uh, we know that they're they're very important, um, but they can be tuned out. Whereas uh, close relationships are they're much harder to do uh, to tune out. So, uh, as in politics, environment as well, we're a tribal world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, I do have hope, though, that, that we can uh, reach across the aisle or 
to change people's beliefs. I don't think that they're totally set in their it, ways. It's pretty amazing. I mean, uh, just a really brief story. I can remember several years ago uh, talking to some guy on a golf course about the planet, and he was a really nice guy, and I said, boy, we have to change. He said, uh, oh, the planet's so big. We don't we we don't have any effect on it at all, and there are lots of people who still believe that. Yeah, it's it's tough to grapple with, um, but um, we we hold out some hope that we could uh, convince those folks to uh, to care more about the environment. Matthew Goldberg, thank you so much for being uh, with us. So Yale Climate Connections is coming right up. I'm Dr. Anthony Lizewitz, and this is Climate Connections. When news about global warming is grim. Some people gaze into the sky and wonder whether humans could find another planet to live on. Deborah Fisher is an astronomy professor at Yale University. She has spent her career searching the stars for other planets. My research, my job, is to find planets orbiting other stars. And I often get the comment, oh good, you've just found another planet that we can go to. And I want to emphasize that there is no planet B for us. She says that astronomy helps her understand just how precious and vulnerable this planet is. We really do, I think, as astronomers, appreciate the fact that the Earth has this incredibly thin veneer of atmosphere, and it's easy to pollute. Fisher helps lead a group called Astronomers for Planet Earth. It's made up of astronomy scientists, educators, and students who have pledged to fight climate change. They're working to educate the public about global warming and the urgent need to protect Earth, our home, and the only planet we can live on. We just need people to come together and solve this problem. Like Climate Connections? Subscribe to our free podcast on iTunes or other major platforms. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. Learn more at YaleClimateConnections.org. From boat to hand-delivered to your doorstep... You can have responsibly wild-caught seafood with convenient monthly home delivery right here in the Midwest. Once you've tasted the line-caught seafood from Sitka Salmon Shares, you'll never want grocery store fish again. Sign up at SitkaSalmonShares.com and join 10,000 satisfied community-supported fishery members. I'm one of them. Use promo code MIKE25 for $25 off your share. Go to SitkaSalmonShares.com. Why are there so many songs about rainbows? And what's on the other side? I know what's on the other side of rainbows, and that's frogs. More frogs, right? And I've, and I've got, well, I've got, I've got mine right here. Hold on. So there you go. Yeah, I'm waiting for that late March, early April when you start hearing the peeper frogs. It's like, ooh, I love that. Yeah, and as our next guest will tell us, this is leap year. Get it, folks? Leap year. And uh, that that means we got to bring Trevor Edmondson uh, from the Wetlands Initiative back to the program. It's always good to see you, Trevor. You're on the Zoom this morning, uh, and good morning to you. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me. Good oh, morning. my pleasure. And when I found out that uh, it was leap year and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I knew it was leap year. Oh, 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 come on, Kermit. Stop, <laughs> stop singing, Kermit, okay? All right. Because <laughs> I really needed to play. There we go. Uh, in honor of uh, of the leap year. Uh, yeah, Trevor. Uh, 
Trevor's known us long enough, yep. <laughs> yeah, I know. He knows that we're going to go down whatever goofy path we can. But uh, um, you are doing a presentation at Medewin National Tall Grass Prairie on the very leap year day, which is uh, February 29th. Actually, you guys got to be very happy that the 29th falls on a Saturday. How perfect is that? Yeah, no, that that uh, very convenient for me. Um, <laughs> we can make time for, to do that. Absolutely. Uh, so what are you going to be telling folks uh, on the 29th? We don't have a whole lot of time here, but yeah. uh, I know you're, you're talking about the good work that's going on at Medewin National Tallgrass Prairie. You know, in addition to putting in prairies over there, I think folks might not understand that there is a lot of wetland restoration going on. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, you know, I think wetland and prairie restoration are not, you know, they're pretty much the same thing. Um, you know, wet prairie, sedge meadows, marshes are all part of the general prairie matrix at Medewin. Mm-hmm. Um, so on on the leap uh, day there, we're going to be breaking it down into a couple different topics. We want to really, we're going to, it's a family friendly day. So I really want to just introduce some of the, lo- the local frogs at Medewin, how to identify them, uh, listen to some of the calls, get people excited. Uh, about that. I, I find that most people I talk to know, you know, bullfrogs and green frogs and maybe have an experience with a tree frog, but <clears throat> most of the other prairie frogs, like your cricket frog, your chorus frog, or your northern leopard frog, even, uh, most folks don't know those. And uh, those are some of the more common frogs you're going to find out in the prairie. Um, so I really want to highlight those and introduce those to people as sort of a gateway to a lot of mm-hmm. other different things. Um, yeah. So how many uh, different types of frogs do we typically have in Illinois? Oh, well, that's a good question. It depends on where you're at. In southern Illinois, there's a lot of frogs that we don't get up here in northern Illinois. Um, You mentioned the spring peepers earlier um, that are up here. Uh, We also have a few wood frog populations in northern Illinois. Um, But I would say the most common frogs are going to be your tree frogs, um, your, your chorus frogs, your bull frogs, your green frogs. So I don't know, eight, eight to 10 different species that you might see, but there's, there's several others that are, that are fairly rare. All right. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Come on. Where is it? Thought it was. Green frogs have a light. Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) I I thought they were going to just uh, give it away. I thought we were just going to get frog calls here. We're going to give you a, a test. Uh, yeah. Uh-oh. Oh well. Never mind. Never <laughs> right, mind. Right. So, so no I, pressure. I, I, I um, guess a lot of people might be surprised to hear about Medewin as a prairie and frogs existing there because they probably think of frogs in a pond. Yeah. Well. So you know the restoration part of it. You know, a lot of I'll use cricket frogs as an example. Um, they were pretty much wiped out from northeastern Illinois with a lot of the urbanization. They had a large problem with DDT. Um, so they're a really good environmental indicator. Um, but Medewin has a lot, has a good population of cricket frogs. A lot of them have been uh, adjacent to our creeks. So when we do the prairie restorations adjacent, you know, next to those creeks, we're also restoring some of the floodplain area to those creeks by filling in ditches, removing tile lines. And so what you, what you'll find is that you know, when frogs are, um, you know, laying eggs and, you know, they're using these slow water, these uh, shallow water areas adjacent to the marshes, um, mm-hmm. you know, for uh, reproduction. Um, so those wet prairie areas become really important. And I think there's a, there was a study I read recently about uh, leopard frogs during the summertime, you know, 
um, can be found over a mile away from, you know, what we consider deep standing water if the conditions are right. So by, you know, fixing sort of the hydrology, you can keep areas wetter longer um, throughout the year. And what that does is expand the frog's range and creates more of a resilient population uh, for those species. Yep. Do you hear that? Kind of. It's a cricket frog. Cricket frog. So, yep. and it because it sounds like a cricket. Yep. How about that? I, I'm not familiar <laughs> oh, with a cricket frog. And, and some so, people say like it's it's a couple stones or marbles kind of coming together. It, yeah, that's exactly what it sounds like. There, that's so, cool. It's that's a really small frog that most people can't. You know, those and chorus frogs. You read, you'll mm-hmm. hear them more than you will see them. Um, and uh, so it's good to really get the calls down. Some of the larger frogs are easier to spot. Let me do one more. Wait. All right, that's a tree frog. You're right. That, that's a gray tree frog. You know your frog calls, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> You'd better. So yeah, I better. Yeah, we'll be we'll be playing some of those uh, for for the day, and uh, you know, hopefully, to introduce some folks to what might be happening in their backyard. Yeah. Um, which takes me to you studying this, and you talked about the sensitivity of frogs and I guess other an- amphibians uh, to chemicals and to the uh, loss of habitat. Um, it must m- be really amazing for you to see them come back to an area. And do they do they show up again uh, once you've uh, gotten rid of the drain tiles? Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, part of what we're doing is, you know, there's isolated wetlands, but by removing the drain tiles and the infrastructure, we're making more a more connected network of wet areas, basically. So the frogs can easily move from one to the other. And depending on the season, those areas become really broad. Um, you know, we've removed miles and miles of drain tiles. So instead of one channelized drainage way, um, you know, you're getting these broad, you know, acres and acres wide swaths of really wet sedge meadow that is perfect uh, habitat for many of these frog species because you know we might think of them being as around ponds but they're also in just damp places maybe when there's not really standing water uh, visible but they're sort of like these muddy areas that we have a lot of acres of that and it's and, and the thing i have to ask about this because uh, Medewin is what twenty thousand acres there sure. is this going to be unique in the midwest if you are able to restore this kind of wetland here well, there's so definitely some unique wetlands. The Dolomite wetlands are pretty unique at Medeowin compared to others. I think the scale of the wetland restoration at Medeowin is what makes it unique. There's a lot of great projects out there that can re, out out there in the region that can restore the wetlands, but the the mosaic of the different types of wetlands and the scale at which we can you know create these new habitats is unique to Medeowin. Mm-hmm. All right, let, wait, wait, try one more here. Oh, uh oh. <laughs> I can. There we go. Can you hear that at all? I kinda. I would say maybe bullfrog, right? It's a green frog. Oh, green frog. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't quite deep enough for a bullfrog, but yeah, hard to hear. Yeah. yeah. So what? What about people who want to get involved? Um, I know there's some citizen science. The, there's the program through the Peggy Notabart Museum. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what Medewin, you you know, they, they have a group of volunteers that is um, working with the Peggy Notabart Museum. So I would say, um, you know, wherever you're at, whatever natural area you're near, um, I would try to get involved with the landowner, whether it's a park district or forest reserve, and see where they need frog monitors. 
um, and, and see how you can help. They'll do the training. There's trainings region regionally um, for that. Um, and there's a lot of online resources to get you started as well. Yeah, we've got the link uh, to Peggy Notabart on our website. We also have the information about uh, your event on the 29th at the Medewin Welcome Center. You uh, you can call. We've got the number there, but it's 815-423-6370. I've got an email if you want to register. We want to let people know they can also go to www.wetlands-initiative.org, which will take you to the Wetlands Initiative. Uh, and I think that covers pretty much everything. Uh, any yep. final word you got for us there, Trevor? Uh, nope, bring the kids. I think frogs are a great way to introduce nature to many people. Oh, frogs are cool. Yep. They, they are the coolest. Thanks again for being on the show. We always are happy to see you. Uh, Rick DeMaio and weather coming up next. Whether you're a garden professional or a fervent amateur, explore cutting-edge ideas with landscape architects, designers, artists, and cultural leaders. Cultivating Connected Communities on March 27th and 28th is a gathering of diverse ideas and people at Allen Centennial Garden on the University of Wisconsin campus. You'll talk about resilient landscapes, environmental justice, urban and regional food systems, and more. Go to allencentennialgarden.org and sign up today. Our last best hope for saving this unique fragile blue orb is the power of we. And it comes to Chicago from March 6 through 15 in the form of the ninth annual One Earth Film Festival. 26 films, 48 events, four counties. It's family friendly with screenings for children as young as age three. Venues include Navy Pier, Peggy Notabart Nature Museum, the Chicago Cultural Center, and more. Be part of the Midwest premier environmental film festival. Go to oneearthfilmfest.org. You want to install a solar energy system for your home, but you're afraid you'll be overwhelmed by choices and jargon. You need to talk to our friends at Albright Solar. Albright Solar offers a boutique, hands-on approach to your situation. They know the ins and outs of local solutions. They take the confusion out of the process and make solar simple, giving you the confidence to enjoy your investment. Harness the power of the sun. Go to albright.solar or call 773-887-6446. 2019 marked 20 years of faith in place, empowering people of all faiths to be leaders in caring for the earth. Not only that, right now is the 10th annual season of the Indoor Winter Farmers Market Program. Enjoy fresh local food from November through April at Indoor Farmers Markets, hosted by 16 Chicagoland Houses of Worship on select Saturdays and Sundays. Faith in Place accepts Illinois Link Card SNAP benefits. For a market schedule and more info, go to faithinplace.org. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. It's that time of the show where we bring in meteorologist Rick DeMaio. And uh, Rick, uh, was that winter that we just had on Friday? Was that it? Is that all we get? Oh, we had a little bit um, yesterday as well and a little little bit this morning. We we did get down into the middle teens with, you know, some heavy frost, and we'll get a little bit of it tomorrow, but... Notice the word little, right? As you <laughs> yeah. just mentioned, Mike, a little. <laughs> it sure seems. Uh, yeah, we yeah. actually. Just, what's that? I'm sorry, Peg. Uh, no, I'm sorry. It was me, and it was just. Uh, it just compared to some other years, this has not been much of a winter, has it? No, but it's interesting though. If you look at the 
uh, amount of snow that we've had, and I kind of put that in the PowerPoint yesterday, the discussion, uh, we're actually right at normal. Uh, but the reason we're at normal is because we had above normal snowfall in both October and November. <laughs> so the question is, you know, it's like, um, it's not that we're getting snow. I've, I've been talking about this for the past few years. It's just that we don't get it on the ground as long. Uh, it doesn't seem like we have as harsh of a winter. Uh, so far this year, one year, or I should say one day where the temperature has been below zero, and we barely did that with minus 10, although across the western suburbs where the skies cleared and the winds were light, uh, minus 7 at Romeoville, minus 10 uh, at DeKalb, minus 11 at Rockford, which actually broke a record. Uh, but when you look back at the records, uh, the minus 9 and minus 10, two days in a row at Rockford, in the middle of February, we're kind of the records that break every once in a while, you get those. Uh, but the bottom line, I think, is going to be interesting to see is what begins to happen over the next uh, two to three weeks from a standpoint of the ground thawing out, things beginning to bloom, um, and whether or not the heavy rainfall that we had earlier this year is going to begin to make the ground almost um, basically unusable for farmland. I was looking at a couple of uh, meteorologists that I follow closely and one is down in Atlanta, and one is up in the New York area, and both of them uh, have said that they've never seen, you know, the daffodils bloom up so early, um, as I think I saw up in Boston as well. So um, it's not so much what's happening now, but is how what's happening now is going to affect mm -hmm. uh, incoming spring, which, if you, know, if you think about it, begins in five weeks, right? I guess so. I, you know, I'm listening to you talk about things starting to grow in the next two weeks that's that's mighty early uh and uh and you do mention in your powerpoint that uh you've got we've got some cold weather coming in this week with yeah. a, some high pressure parked over uh the midsection of the country but uh boy yeah i've it's seen not, it's not Ar not arctic high it's like pacific high and that's been the, that's been the trend all winter yeah we'll get a little bit cooler temperatures but if I guess I want to call your attention to something I know you you uh, noted uh, that January was the warmest January ever recorded. Yeah, yeah, ever since 1880. Uh, yeah, when you think about it globally, but even when you look back at um, even last year, even though we had you know the second warmest year on record in the Midwest, um, it was actually a fairly cold winter because we had some really, really cold temperatures in late January, and then again the first part of February, and then April and also May were cold. So it's, it's interesting to see whether or not these patterns are going to become more persistent with more variability on the shoulder months, meaning October and April, um, as opposed to just having your normal, you know, Arctic blast in the middle of winter, then you have your little bit of a warm-up in October and your warm-up in late March and early April. It, it's kind of interesting to see whether or not that whether or not that's going to happen. And also, um, this hasn't been talked about much because it just happened in the last couple of days. We had second deepest area of low pressure uh, over the North Atlantic just happened a couple of days ago, uh, all the way down to 920 millibars, which is almost like a Category Three hurricane. And this was due to the fact that we had this incredibly strong jet stream uh, moving across the Atlantic that finally had a little bit of a dip to it. So every once in a while when you have these fast jet streams or all this energy moving from west to east, when you take a dip, 
they've produced some phenomenal, uh, you know, phenomenal windstorms and 60, 70 mile an hour winds in parts of Western Europe. So it's it's not that I don't think you can still get out of this winter season uh, without a blizzard or two. If you remember last year, we had some of the latest blizzards ever in parts of the Northern Plains. And if you also remember in October, we had some significant blizzards in the Northern Plains. So it seems like what's happening, and again, this is all a work in progress from the standpoint of just looking at weather and trying to decide on how to put your finger on it. It seems that getting some of the most intense storms early in the year and late in the year, and as you head into the middle of winter, things just don't happen that much. And when you do get a snowstorm and it's two to four inches, people make a big deal out of it. And we know really that's a, that's a, that's a small deal, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I was thinking, you mentioned the, uh, the activity over the North Atlantic. Um, uh, Kathleen has a friend who lives in Paris, and he said, yeah, we got a bomb cyclone headed uh, to uh, Europe. And, uh, and it made, oh, yeah. Because <laughs> that's what they call it now is the bomb cyclone. But I remember a year ago, the bomb cyclone yep. came up in yep. the center of the country and resulted in mass, right. massive flooding. Right, right, yeah. That was that was the one that came through uh, in March. Uh, that was the one that gave uh, Kansas and Colorado all-time record low pressure, uh, and then massive amounts of rain in parts of Nebraska, which a friend of mine, uh, Kathy Zapatokny, from my graduate, uh, my undergraduate days at Wisconsin did a wonderful presentation at the AMS conference in Boston on how their office responded to it. She's in Omaha. And how much uh, the farmers were impacted by that, particularly the cattle ranchers, because those are the ones that, you know, it's hard to get a 1,000-pound animal out of mud uh, once they're stuck in it. So it's it's different from the standpoint of fields not being able to plant, but, man, the cattle are... The cattle ranchers, they have a much, much more difficult time in weather like that. And I think that's going to begin to see the focus, guys, is on is on the early season and late season blizzards in parts of the United States where the farmers and the ranchers just have a much more difficult time uh, adapting to it and mitigating to that. And it'll be interesting to see if you get one more year out of that, I think you'll see begin to see people do things differently. Uh, to lower their risk and vulnerability. I, I love that idea. We're, that's something we have to keep our eye on the fringes of our seasons, you know, as you say, late, oh, yeah. late, yeah. late in the year, early late in the year. Late April snowstorm last year. What's going to happen this year? Yeah. Very, very yeah, yeah, we had, we had, yeah, we had two of those, Peg. If you remember the second and fourth week of April, I don't right. think I've ever yeah. seen snow. Yeah. From that, from that, uh, from that perspective. All right. Uh, but otherwise, guys, beautiful weather today. Rain and snow tomorrow. Maybe about a half inch across northern Illinois, and after that, cool and dry for Tuesday through Saturday. Fantastic. Good talking to you, Rick. You have a great Sunday. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. Bye bye. All right. I want to thank folks on the show today: William Moss, the Garden Boss, and um, Matthew Goldberg from Yale Climate Connections, Trevor Edmondson from the Wetlands Initiative, of course, Rick DeMaio, of course, Kayla and Hannah and Andrew back there. And the frogs. And the frogs. Let's get, uh, I'll get my frog ready. (laughs) Until next time, go green or go home. Uh, Stadler? Yeah, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.